0: Hey, Mark. Welcome to my show. Hey, Chris.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Absolutely, man. I'm really glad that we have finally having an opportunity to do this. Uh, I think we saw each other back years ago at the Clearwater thing. uh, Flag down. Flag down. Yes, okay. um, but only only from a distance. I didn't. I don't think I actually got the chance to actually interact with you mu- that much there. Okay, um, but uh, you have uh, really put yourself on the map here uh, recently because you are now like, okay, Clearwater City Council, let's do
1: this. Yes, yeah. I have put a target on my back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. i I'm, I'm very excited about it. I'm getting a lot of support and we actually file uh, in less than a week now to start the campaign. Excellent. Um, When does the vote happen? Vote doesn't happen till March. So when Florida voters are are voting in the primary, uh, they'll be actually voting for the mayor and two open council seats here in Clearwater. So we should have a lot of people coming to the polls because everyone's gonna be voting you know, to, to select who they want to be the presidential candidate for uh, the Democrats. And so there'll be a lot of interest in, in people coming to the polls. Uh, so I, I think it should be exciting. And I think we can drum up a lot of interest along the way as well for our particular race. It's not going to be a quiet year. A lot of times in Clearwater, there are no uh, contested um, seats. I mean, there'll they'll, they'll be an open seat but no one runs against the incumbent. And so there's no real race this year. Right, the, the, the floodgates have opened wide and there are so many candidates running for the two open seats. So it should be interesting. It should be fun. Interesting. And, and challenging because <laughs> yeah. I'm totally new at this.
0: Yeah, I would imagine this would be like me jumping into it or something. It's just something you just kind of doing. Um, right. Did you, I noticed you recently, were looking to put some campaign staff together. Is that coming together?
1: Yeah, we do have a, a, a lot of people already on the staff. Uh, we have a lot of people who have been volunteering. But one thing that we're lacking so far is a, um, a campaign manager, which is tough. Because, you know, if you find somebody with experience here in Clearwater who have run campaigns before, Do they want to throw their career away by uh, running my campaign since Scientology is going to be digging into everyone's background and giving us um, so much trouble? I'm ready for it. Most of the people on my team are ready for it. But to find some professional who really knows how to run a campaign, that's tricky. Um, So we're trying to cast the net wide. But if we don't wind up with an actual campaign manager, we do have people on the staff who had experience running camp, not running campaigns, but working in campaigns, being foot soldiers uh, who really know what they're doing. And I'm sure we can put together um, a a campaign that will be successful. I'm very confident of that. Excellent. We do, oh, like Aaron, Aaron uh, Smith-Levin is part of the team. Mike Rinder has thrown his support to us, so has Leah Remedy. And um, one of the guys who, who's on the team is actually the guy who was the condo president at uh, the condo I rented when I first moved back to Clearwater. I don't know if you're familiar with that saga, but I, uh, I rented a condo sight unseen when I moved back here in 2013 unbeknownst to me, having only looked at the pictures of the inside of the place and the exterior, I didn't realize it was right across the street from Hacienda Gardens, where all the Sea Org members live. Oops. (laughs) And the woman living right next door to me was a Scientologist. And while I was waiting for all my furniture to arrive, and and trim this down if I'm too boring with all this, but... (laughs) But while I was waiting for my my neighbor to, uh, well, <laughs> waiting for my my furniture to arrive, a neighbor knocked on my door, and invited me over to her place and was very up and chipper and uh, had furniture she wanted to loan me for a while, chairs, tables, things like that. And we talked for a while, had a nice, pleasant conversation. But I could see that she had a, an entire bookcase full of Elwood Albert psychology stuff. So I thought I ought to be honest with her, and and I said, well, that's that's a really kind offer, but. I think you should know that I, I probably have been declared a suppressive person. I've been making a documentary about the film, uh, about about Scientology rather, and I've uh, been interviewing a lot of former executives, former members, things like that. So, so chances are I I am an SP. And as I was talking to her, her face just dropped, and she said, "And that's the if that's the case, I'm going to have to ask you to leave." And I said, well, okay, well, but I hope we can still be friends. Leave now. So the next day, um, I, I hear from the condo president saying that Scientology has been calling, emailing, they dropped off uh, a copy of the injunction, and they were insisting that I be evicted. Uh, and the condo president said, no, we did a background check on him, and he's fine. Uh, so- beforehand. Yeah, so, the, uh, you know, eventually I sat down with the, uh, the chief of police, along with attorney Dennis DeFlaming, who was on my side. And Dennis and I were hoping that the police would simply uh, side with us to go to court and, and say, we'd like to have this injunction uh, dismissed. And when we got there, the police chief at the time said, uh, well, Scientology was just here 15 minutes ago. We had a meeting with them. We'd like to keep the injunction in place. And (laughs) it's bizarre, bizarre. The injunction essentially only covers me because I'm the only named person on it. But I'm the one person who's never broken the injunction because the injunction only says you can't protest on these particular blocks in in front of Scientology buildings. You have to be across the street if you're going to protest. And this
0: goes back to... The LMT days? Yeah,
1: when we when when I lived here back in 2000 and 2001 with the Lisa. McPherson. Right. Okay. With the whole Lisa McPherson trust thing,
0: this goes back yeah. to that.
1: Yeah, there was an okay. incident, and I'm sorry of not putting this in in the proper context.
0: I, I but yeah, I want everybody to understand what the, why an injunction.
1: What what's that all about? You know. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. Back in back in 1999, uh, Bob Minton, uh, retired investment banker who financed mm-hmm. the Lisa McPherson trust back in 2000 uh he was goaded into an incident where Scientologists had been following him everywhere um in, you know including showing up at airports to to harass him with signs and uh and finally he had had enough uh, on this particular evening and he was trying to make a phone call a Scientologist security guard got in his face and Bob took a sign and, and kind of shoved the sign at him hit the kid in the face and the kid faked a big faint to the ground. Uh, And Bob was arrested for assault and had to stand trial. So out of that sprang the injunction. And when I moved here in 2000, Scientology uh, sought to have everyone who worked for the LMT and anyone associated with us added to the injunction as well. So uh, that's how uh, my name got on it. Um, The injunction specifically says that you can film anywhere. You can walk anywhere, you can film anywhere. Filming pickets is fine. You just can't hold a protest sign and protest. So I'm always filming when when I'm out there. Um, So it's never been a problem for me, although Scientology will likely make it a problem in the campaign. And I know people have asked me about this in public forums already. Is that gonna be an issue? I don't think it is. If Scientology wants to press it, um, that would mean that if I'm elected, then the mayor, the city council, everyone in the city would be acting in concert with me. So Scientology would not be able to talk to anyone in the city. And I don't think they're going to really be <laughs> pressing for that.
0: You know, you, you think. <laughs> but you, just,
1: you never know. You
0: know, these guys, I tell you, man. Uh, okay, well, fair enough. So So that's been a hurdle and you've been dealing with that. Are there other things that have, have you seen any indication of other activities before the campaign even really gets going um, in terms of Scientology fair
1: gaming or moving in your direction? Uh, I haven't specifically seen anything. Uh, I have heard of some things. Um, and again, I, I really don't pay any attention to it. I've caught, Eyes following me over the decades, uh, you know. So what? Uh, they're, they're, what are they going to find out? You know, go to the movie theater, come home, go to work, right. things like that. So uh, it, that doesn't really bother me. Um, I have heard that as soon as I put up a video with Aaron Smith Levin announcing that I was planning to run a few months ago, Scientology's PR lady Pat Harney, was calling up other people. In the city, other people who were potential candidates saying, well, What do you think about Mark Bunker running? We can't let him do that. And I thought that was rather uh, ballsy. I mean, you can't let me run. Uh, but this would this is Scientology's position. Sense well,
0: that's, that. that is that is I mean, these people are absolutely control freaks. So yeah, that that
1: yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. And I know they're gonna be trying everything they can to disrupt it, to, to shut it down. So we're, we're aware of that. We're going to be on guard. Another candidate also told me that somebody came up to her uh, at an event and said, Hey, we've got uh, a, a block of 11,000 voters ready to vote for you. All the funding you need. We want you to run against Mark Bucker. And you know, so they're they're working behind the scenes to see what they can do, but what that?
0: Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Also interesting that they uh, gave a number to their you know census highly in
1: inflated. Yeah, highly inflated. Yeah. Um, so I mean, they're, they're lucky if they have a, a couple thousand uh, throughout the entire Tampa Bay area, and that includes all the SeaWorld people who are largely here on work visas and can't vote anyway. Um, It's not an inconsequential number of votes. And in some cases, it would be enough to win an election. I don't think this time. Uh, I think think
0: you're right. I think this is gonna see more turnout than we've seen in the past.
1: Yeah, and they have never been able to get somebody on the board before. They've been able to co-opt board members, I'm sure, Uh, but like there, there was one guy who was largely financed by Scientology in the last race, race I think his last name was Funk. Um, he lost. He had Scientology support. And Scientology, it would uh, let if people, voters know that Scientology is backing a candidate. I think that's more of a negative than anything else. So
0: you would certainly think so. I was surprised when I was looking at some videos here this morning. Uh, you had gone recently like I think just last week and spoken with the development board. Yeah. And I was surprised because I'm not a Clearwater resident and I really don't keep up with Clearwater politics except from an outsider perspective that you have a development board, which I guess is, uh, I don't know what the word, an adjunct or a, a, a related to or connected to the city council in some way, but it's a Clearwater downtown development board. What, what is that body?
1: Well, uh, you know, I, I'm not totally clear on it. Usually these are advisory boards that will uh, look at different issues in this case. They have a budget that is made up of money that people who live and work downtown pay in extra taxes. So most of the people throughout Clearwater don't pay taxes toward this this, uh, fund. Um, But because it's concentrated on a business owners downtown and people who live downtown, or work downtown. Scientology has a huge presence that way, so the bulk of the members on that board are Scientologists, including Paris who, uh who is the chairman of the board. Um, and and I had no idea that there was a panel of OTs I could go talk to uh, once <laughs> a month. Yes. And, and there's an open uh, at the beginning of the meeting, and I did I didn't show up in time for the, the beginning of the meeting but there's always an, an open comment section. So anyone in the, in the city who wants to talk about any issue at all is given three minutes to talk. Um, having missed that, I still got that there in time for them to discuss something that was on the agenda, which was the slate of candidates who would be up for the coming election for this particular board. And of the five people on that slate, three of them were Scientologists. Uh, so, it's possible that the board may become even more balanced toward Scientology. Uh, and I got up to, spe- to speak specifically to that agenda. Um, and it was an interesting experience. I certainly tried to be polite, uh, but it, it I feel like, wow, the lost years where I could have been talking to OTs all this time, people who don't... Uh, uh, don't want to hear what I have to say. Have to listen.
0: Yes, it was quite interesting seeing um, uh, Mr. Morphopoulos there uh, sharing this thing, and then you and then you splicing in the clip of him asking you all those sharpened, pointed questions eleven years ago about, or however many years ago that was. Uh, you know, yeah, that's 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 quite something. I wouldn't normally want to make an issue out of somebody's. Uh, religious status, or belief system, or whatever you want to say that, in terms of their ability to uh, hold a uh, a community or government, you know, gov- local position. Sure. You know, we don't we don't want any stars of David or any of that kind of nonsense. Um, but there is certainly uh, concern to be had when you know, more than half of the board is being stacked up with Scientologists who clearly have a vested interest in their own church's propagation in downtown Clearwater versus what might be better for the city itself as a city.
1: Right. And uh, the the central question that I, I came there to ask was, people don't want to come downtown because of Scientology because of the presence of, of the Scientologists down there. They find it creepy. So are the people who can solve this problem, uh, should should they be Scientologists? Are they the right people to tackle this unique situation here? Of course- That's right. they, it's
0: a very good point that you made in bringing that up, and I'm glad that was televised for people to see. Also interesting was the uh, person who, um, another Scientologist who was on that board who piped in and said, well, you know, that might have been the case in 2000, but in 2019, I see the exact opposite. I don't think that he thinks he's lying.
1: You know, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I don't think he he felt that way either. Uh, I'm sure that people who talk to him do uh, have, you know, that question of, Tell me about Scientology. And they're not going to be rude to him, but he's not going to tell the whole truth. Uh, I have have the same question asked of me, as as do you, as do anyone who's looked into this. And if people ask him, they're only getting a partial uh, idea of what goes on with Scientology. And it's, it's a very skewed position that largely is, we do good things, come on in for yourself, read a book. Um, and that's going to be about the extent of it. You know, you're really not gonna find much more by asking the Scientologist directly, unfortunately. Uh, now, I don't expect them to sit down and start laying out, oh yeah, here's how we abuse people. And this is how we uh, reg people to, uh, you know, just get every penny out of them we can. But um, with us, we can say, look at both sides. You want to know what Scientology is? Go to, you know, you can go to the Scientology website. You can read their books. And then listen to people who've gone through it and, and hear about the horrible experiences that these particular people have had. Now, that doesn't mean everybody in Scientology is having horrible experiences. There's got to be something there or people wouldn't stay at all. But the fact that there are far more Former Scientologists in the world than there are active Scientologists it has to say something. Exactly.
0: All right, let's let's talk about some history for a second because this is something I have okay. always been curious about. Yeah. You have never have you? Okay, let me ask you this: Have you ever done Scientology services?
1: No. Uh, I so never have. How,
0: how did you get into this? Because you were you're like one of the OG. Still operating, you know, Lisa McPherson, trust person. I mean, you go back, you know, like pre-internet back, you know, like how how did you get involved in this in the first
1: place? Well, it wasn't pre-internet. There were people uh, uh, working on this long before me on the Internet. I actually started looking into it in 98. And Scientology for me is that unique blend of three of my interests, science fiction, hollywood and cults and i've always been curious about cults. back in the 80s there were so many news stories about all the different groups whether it was scientology uh you know the garbage eaters was was a favorite group of mine they're still around apparently i forget their 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 current name but uh these are people who have given all their possessions over to the leader and um they go from town to town to try to recruit new people and they they get their name because they'll they would jump into dumpsters to forage for food to keep themselves alive um and abc did a really great piece about that back in the 80s um and then you had the Bhagwan Sri rajneesh and it was a a fascinating time that was also filled with a lot of hyperbole there were all, all these scares about you know uh, Cult members, uh, you know, killing babies and, and all this kind of hysteria. The, the, the satanic whatever.
0: panic, I think they were calling yeah. it.
1: They yeah. Were, yeah. But I, I remember back in 1980, uh, Mike Wallace did a piece on Scientology uh, in Clearwater here called the Clearwater Conspiracy, uh, which came about after the FBI had raided Scientology's headquarters in, in L.A. and Washington and uncovered this treasure trove of all of these horrible things covert operations that Scientology ran against the city, against the federal government, and against individuals like Paulette Cooper and the mayor of Clearwater at the time, Gabe Casares. Shocking stuff, so the city was in an uproar here in Clearwater. And it was a really great piece uh, from Mike Wallace. But back in 1980, you know, where are you gonna go? There's no internet. Um, it was stuck in the back of my my head all those decades but I didn't really do any more research about it. Cut to 1998, and I'm in LA. I've been there for a number of years, but in 98, I moved into a home in the Hollywood Hills in the Los Feliz area, which apparently was near where Mary Sue Hubbard was in hiding in the post-Operation Snow White uh, period. So we were, we were, I guess, kind of neighbors. Um, so I had, I had a place there I was renting, and the woman who lived there before me was a Scientologist. And she apparently didn't give a forwarding address because I kept getting all, all her junk mail from Scientology. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> yeah. And I would get the uh, issues of Celebrity Magazine and all the other you know, glossy publications they routinely put out. And I'd be reading through them, very curious about it, you know, marveling at the, uh, the you know particular Scientology lingo Used throughout the articles, reading about uh, ads for the e-meter. And it got me intrigued, so I started looking into it a little bit more. And I started visiting some, some of the Scientology orgs. I'd go to Big Blue or, um, or the L. Ron Hubbard Life Exhibition and take the tour there. Uh, and, and the Life Exhibition, if you have a chance, go. It's, it's so much fun. Is it what, is
0: actually. And I will, I will say this is true. I will totally now, back that up. Yeah.
1: Now I haven't been in there in 20 years. I don't know what they've changed, but what they had then was perfect. <laughs> I mean, yes. At, there, yes. I re- things I remember was, um, you know, it, it, at first it was all uh, his uh, Boy Scout uh, uh, history. How he's the youngest Boy Scout ever or whatever. I forget the Eagle or I don't know what it's all about. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, his writing uh, for Pulp Fiction and then uh, his career in Hollywood, where they had a, a, like the big exterior of a theater with a theater marquee with L. Ron Hubbard's name on it. And the only thing that I've been able to track down, really, that Hubbard uh, had written was one low budget serial um, Forget the exact name of it. It was something like, with
0: the the secret of secret treasure, treasure island island. or something. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've I've been able to find one or two crappy episodes of that in really poor shape on YouTube, but um, this was the big thing. Even though Scientology will say, "Oh, he wrote Casablanca." No, he didn't write Casablanca. Uh, and yet, the other fun yeah. thing was uh, you, you, you went into another room where uh, they were showing you the story of Dianetics. And before the film, in front of the screen, there was a, a, a very large volcano in physical form. And as the lights came down, the sound and the lights kind of made it look like Ooh, the volcano is going to erupt. And then pff, the uh, movie appears. Uh, and it was shot in black and white. And they had somebody playing L. Ron Hubbard. But they didn't want to show L. Ron Hubbard's face. They didn't want it. So it's all shot from his behind. So you, you would see scenes where people would rush into the room and Hubbard would be sitting there like this. <laughs> right. You see, them, you see them coming in. Boss, boss, you should see the mail coming in. All these letters about Dianetics they want to join. And, and uh, you know, slapping the. Mail bags full of letters, just like in Miracle on 34th Street. I mean, it was glorious. Glorious. Um, and then, and, you know, it continues on. And at the end of the tour, uh, they take you to a room, uh, which I think is, is still the end of the tour, where you're looking at a great big wall with the panels of a wall split and it reveals all of these awards from around the world. From cities, from states, from countries, all these people saying how wonderful Scientology is, and the music booms into this majestic thing. You know, it's Al Ron Hubbard and Scientology. Yay! Uh, you know, it, they're
0: not—they're not subtle. Subtlety is not no. their strong point.
1: <laughs> no, so if you have a chance, go. Uh, the it last time I tried to go with a cameraman about ten years ago uh they uh, they wouldn't let me in unfortunately of course of course yeah.
0: well back then okay so you're so you're checking this stuff out what was your yeah. where was your head in 98 i mean you're looking at this stuff you're seeing these flyers these mailers these magazines i mean you know obviously of interest to you but did you ever imagine this is where it was gonna go like
1: where where oh, no. where, where were you thinking oh for God's sakes, no i just found it a fascinating. A story and a hobby. Uh, and I started reading uh, the news group, Alt-Religion Scientology. And at, at that point, this was the, the active place for former members to go and for critics to go and, and discuss things. Um, and I discovered that uh, Dennis Ehrlich lived in my neighborhood. Dennis um was a, a a top executive uh, before, or he was a former executive who was a cramming officer. Um, and his home had been raided by Scientology along with three other members, board members of Factnet, which was a, an early uh, website disseminating information about Scientology. Um, so all three of these people across the country had their homes raided at the same time. And I thought that was fascinating uh, and <laughs> despicable. Uh, and I met uh, a woman in town there named Priscilla Coates, who was at that point, I believe, still a, a, a member of uh, the Cult Awareness Network before Scientology sued it and, and uh, bought the remains of it. Um, and I, I found out in my uh, my town at Glendale, California, she would have weekly meetings with um, Sunday afternoons with meetings of uh, members from all different organizations, not just Scientology. But Dennis Ehrlich was part of that. And um, I talked to her and she said, you want to come to the meeting? Uh, and I said, yeah. So I got to meet Dennis and we, we became friends and I. Uh, listening to the stories was, was amazing. And the more I found out about Scientology behind, besides the, the early stuff that's clickbait material that, that makes you shake your head, you know, finding out about Zeno and the volcano and OT3 and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the more I learned about the, the actual way the organization worked, the more and more interested I, I found myself becoming, um, so by the time uh, by the time that I started looking into this more deeply, I started taking it seriously, and it scared the heck out of me. And for a year, I was afraid to show my face anywhere. Uh, people would fly in from around the country to do a, a picket at the Celebrity Center, for for example, um, and I was too afraid to to show up. But I had uh, video editing equipment at home, which was extremely rare at the time. There weren't many systems that you could buy uh, because, there were, you know, video on the web was, was almost non-existent. The only practical solution at the time was real video, which sucked. <laughs> but it gave you a chance to, to put some, some video out there. Um, and so I thought, well, here's how I could help. Um, I'm not going to show my face, but I can go online. And I remember the first things I did was, uh, there were a couple broadcasts. I think, uh, 60 minutes did a piece about the, the, uh, takeover of can. And I thought, well, there's probably people around the world who, who don't have access to 60 minutes who would like to see this. So I converted it and put it, sent it over to somebody in Europe who had their own website so they could host it there. And I started doing a lot of that. There was a, a story about Lisa McPherson on a CBS show called Public Eye, which Brian Gumble uh, hosted. And Heber Gench came on and made an insane live appearance at the end of their segment, uh, trying to control uh, uh, Peter uh, uh, Brian Gumble rather with tone forty. Listen, you listen to me and. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. So I, I started putting things like that online, and then other people sent me tapes from all, all, all around the world to convert. Uh, people like Arnie Lerma would send me videos of protests, which I would edit down and convert for the web. And then when um, back around mid-99, I think, uh, Bob Minton had – Joined with Stacy Brooks to sit down with Scientologist attorneys to forge a, a settlement with FactNet um, that that kept FactNet, you know, the people in FactNet out of trouble, not being sued. They, so they they were meant able to reach a settlement with Scientology at that. And at now that, that that's point, so,
0: so that was prior to the whole establishment of the LMT. Minton exactly.
1: was involved. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Bob got involved back in '95. I started looking into it in '98. Bob started looking into it because Scientology tried to cancel the news group alt religion Scientology. Helena Coburn, I believe, was the attorney who tried to uh, get the the board erased, uh, and and a lot of um, civil libertarians, free speech activists were upset by that. So that's how Bob was introduced to it, and then. Similar to my journey, he started meeting people and talking about it and being more and more appalled by why he discovered So he started to fund people who were being sued by Scientology. Um, so there, there ultimately were a bunch of people like uh, Jerry Armstrong. Uh, you know, I can't remember all the names now, but he kind of kept them afloat and he decided to, to uh, kind of balance... The um, kind of balanced the war between Scientology and Lisa McPherson's family by um, funding uh, attorney Ken Dandar, who um, who was doing a civil suit on behalf of Lisa McPherson's family. Um, so in ninety nine, he and Stacy, you know, put the Facnet stuff aside, and then they took over as the president uh, or chairman of the board of whatever FactNet, FACnet. And they made an announcement on ARS and I, and I emailed them and said, if there's anything I can do video-wise, let me know. And they instantly called me and said, okay, this sounds great. Uh, They said in a week or two, they were going to a cult awareness seminar because it would have been uh, uh, um, a, like a three-day affair with with people who have been affected by all different cults. Scientology was a big part of that and they invited me to come out and Bob gave me his little handy cam and put it in my hand and said just feel free to shoot anything so I had a wide-ranging ability to shoot every panel to shoot behind the scenes footage uh, uh, in their rooms and and it was really fascinating. And I went back and I, I edited all that together for the web. I still hadn't um, been brave enough outside of this situation to use my real name or show my face. And at the end of, uh, of that experience, you know, I said, uh, you know, I asked Bob if he would uh, pay, get me a camera because I had the editing equipment, but I didn't have an actual camera to go out and and yet, so he not only got me um, a really good uh, professional level of camera, but also a new editing system too. And I started um, started going out and and shooting video. Eventually, uh, the first thing I shot was uh, a protest at uh, the Celebrity Center, where oh, that that actually. That's where I met Dennis Ehrlich. Um, so we have to revise the history here because I remember now. So Dennis uh, probably uh, said, let's go to, to Priscilla Coates thing. OK, flip all that. Memory. Focus. Oh, yeah. No, man. I, I'm trying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I remember that now because I do have footage uh, as I'm shooting uh, the protesters. Dennis thinks that I'm a Scientologist man. He's talking to somebody on the street. He says, and yeah, that's wonderful. They follow us everywhere. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm Dr. Benjamin Wog, which was my name on the Internet. Uh, and then after that, like a day or two after that, Scientology leafleted my neighborhood. And they had flyers printing up saying, beware your neighbor. And they had my phone number in there um, and a, a, a really scary picture of me. Um, yeah, this is
0: back in the 90s when they their teeth were not they were not declawed or defanged in
1: any way back then. Right. And at this moment, this what we call revenge pickets where Scientologists were showing up at critics' homes. They were doing this all around the country uh, and especially against women like Christy Wachter, who lived in San Francisco at the time. They were horrible to her, um, followed her. Seemingly everywhere. Um, but this was the first time they, they showed up in my neighborhood. I got a call from a neighbor who said, uh, are you Mark Bunker? I said, Yeah. I'm supposed to beware you. <laughs> and she told me about uh the leaflet she had in her hand. And thankfully, I you know, I got a copy of it because my house was leafleted too, it turns out. Um And thankfully they say, uh, beware your neighbor, Mark Bunker, he's a religious bigot who sits behind his uh, keyboard every day, spewing out hate, all this nonsense. And at the bottom of it, in very tiny print, they mentioned something like uh, care of the Scientology parishioners or something like that. But Scientology was named there. So uh, even back in 1999, Scientology, the word never failed to get a laugh. <laughs> so, this woman and I were having a great conversation on the phone about all of this, um, and I, the uh, the person who was living in the house above me was a police officer, and his family. So I decided to go up there and, and, and take up you know the, my little flyer, and say, listen, this is what has happened. Uh, everyone in the neighborhood's down one of these fires. Now it's possible. I don't think it's, it's going to happen, but it's possible that Scientologists may come here to pick at me. And as I'm saying this, I look out his window and two Scientologists had just arrived. So I ran down and I grabbed my camera and I went out to interview them. Dan Mernon and another fellow who's just known as D. Um, and I tried to have a polite conversation with him. Uh, I mentioned Xenu uh, uh, at like the three-minute mark, and that was enough for D to to flee. So he he said, "I'm out of here, man." But Dan uh, stood around for another twenty minutes. And I tried to have a logical conversation with him, knowing just a fraction of what I know now. And then I put that video on the line, online, and I called out. Uh, Mike Rinder for sending his little boys to my home. And I said, I want you to see the results. Um, And that was the start of Zenu TV. That was the first video that I actually put out and said, okay, here's my name. I'm going to create a website to store all this stuff. And I started going to all the events. Like I said, I was petrified to show my face for a year. Once they came to my home, all that fear disappeared. You can hear my voice when, when I go down to approach them and say, hi. Uh, you know, there is fear in my voice in the first 30 or 60 seconds of that video. And then I relaxed. And by the end of that, I just thought, yeah, I'm not afraid of you. And that was that was a great lesson for me. And I think my camera protected me through the decades because whatever crazy stuff they were doing to me, I would put online, and it usually would backfire. Uh, so, I think that's one of the reasons they have kept their distance from. It. Now, later when well, I I think, became, I,
0: I think oh. it needs to be said just real quickly here that, um, you know, this is pre-YouTube. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're putting stuff online before it was even a thing to put stuff online like that. Right. This was you. You had I. I. I really want to acknowledge. You know, you say, well, I was afraid, and then maybe I. You know, and then I. Then I chilled, and I was able to relax. I mean, I get it. This is you know confrontations uh, with people who are hostile to you, are picketing your home, or leafleting your neighborhood. These are people who want to see you. You know, it, it, in the ground. I mean, these are not. These are not people who have your best interests at heart. And, and it does take some real uh, courage to go out and deal with that. You know, they count on the fact that most people are timid, you know, backed off, uncertain, don't want to create a ruckus, don't want trouble. And they definitely did not compute properly when it came to people like you. You, you really stood up and right from the get-go. And that needs to be acknowledged for, because it's, it's significant.
1: Well, yeah, I thought, well, here's a contribution I could do um, because there are people who speak more eloquently than I do, can write more eloquently than I can, um, but I can show people what um, what this is like, how Scientologists behave. When I, I captured people bull baiting me uh, shortly after that on L. Ron Hubbard Way surrounding me, and, and, and shouting, what are your crimes, Mark? Come on, spit them up. What are your crimes? There hadn't been any footage of that before. And I thought it was kind of important to be able to explain, well, this is what Hubbard writes. This is what they're taught, that anyone who criticizes Scientology is a criminal. To silence them, all you need to do is dig up their crimes. Uh, and if you can't, manufacture them. Um, and, and I think it was important to say, here's the writing, here's it in action. So I, I think uh, I think that was a, a great experience, and I'm very happy that over the years, people have found these videos helpful. Uh, the one thing that annoys me is somebody got to to YouTube before I created a channel, and that video of of the three guys surrounding me on Elron Hubbard Way. Somebody put that up on YouTube under the title Scientology Crazy Followers. And that has had millions of hits over the years, which I, I think it's great. I want people to see it. So it's a poor quality video. And in the corner is this big bug that says cabin.net, I think, for, for wherever. I don't know if this is the guy's website or somebody put it on a a website with that name and they downloaded it from there and put it online. So it, it, it annoys the heck out of me that the millions of people who are watching that original clip are seeing a crappy video with a huge annoying bug. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad it's out there. I mean, you know, a lot of people have been introduced to the Scientology on, online through that clip. In fact, I forget the name. There was a popular, um, team on la radio who actually mentioned it on the air one day i can't remember the, the name of them but they were like you know one of the top people outside of howard stern um and it was cool that they they saw it and they were playing clips from it and, uh, you know so it the the information was getting out there and that was the important part
0: yeah exactly and that and that's you know the usenet group was, was very important, it was very good, it was very necessary that that, that, that be on the internet, that potentially anybody could get to it. But, but the fact that you were posting video, I mean, I know from my own experience, uh, you know, years later, video is something people can absorb very quickly. It's visual, it's audio, so they, they, they don't have as many filters and trouble uh, assimilating it. And they don't have to go dig through, you know, archives of Usenet (laughs) postings to find stuff, right? And so so in a way, you were, you know, breaking new ground with this. And and yeah, I mean, well, I mean, really, let's just, let's, you know, I really want to acknowledge this because this was a way of, of getting that information disseminated or put out there in a way that people could easily and immediately assimilate it. Yeah. Yeah, And that was, uh, you know, again, it's just, you were, you were
1: kind of the first on that as far as I know. Uh, yeah, I believe I was. Uh, and since then the floodgates have opened and it's so exciting to see people, including you and and other people now who have channels devoted to this. That's so exciting because back then, you know, (laughs) there was nothing, um, and, and a lot of that changed back in 2008 when Anonymous came out and suddenly people all over the world were starting to spread information. Yeah,
0: exactly. I, and I want to I want to get to that. But I want to bring you back to the Lisa McPherson time, because I'd like to do it in a little bit of a sequence, because you <laughs> were involved in all of this stuff. And I'm curious. I'm really, really curious. I've always been curious about this Um how did you? How did that dot connect from you doing that and being involved with what was
1: happening in L.A. to you in Clearwater? Oh, well, going back to uh, me contacting Bob, Bob providing me a, with a camera in late. So that was mid-99. In, mid in late-99, Bob got involved in another one of these altercations. And I got a call from Stacy saying, you know, you really should have been here videotaping this, um, and so we want you to come and be part of Leasing the Euston McPherson Trust, which was just about to open. Um, I was aware that the group was was being formed, but I was not a part of it until I got that phone call. And she said, "You want to move to Clearwater and do this?" And I didn't hesitate for a moment. I said, "Yes," <laughs> you know. So I uh, I uh, packed up everything and moved uh, moved to Clearwater great experience you know the two most fascinating years of my life i didn't know what my salary would be or anything like that i just said okay uh you know i'll, I'll be there um and when i came to town it was not exactly what i expected because in all of my years reading about it and knowing what the town had gone through, what the mayor had gone through, the police department uh, had been surrounded by Scientologists in, in Nazi uniforms doing a protest of them. Um, I considered this, you know, a city under siege, essentially. Um, and I wanted to, you know, see if I could help any, any way I could. One of the earliest things we did at the LMT was attend a uh, Martin Luther King breakfast and, uh, you know, put on by the NAACP, and at the meeting was the then chief of police, Sid Klein, and a lot of his lieutenants. Uh, So I saw Sid Klein across the room, and I said, I gotta go over and say hi. So I, I, I put out my hand to shake his hand, and said I, I am a big fan of the police department and it's a pleasure to meet you he refused to shake my hand stared at me glared at me and said if you get in our way I'll arrest you and I went oh okay um, <laughs> so <laughs> so I had to kind of recalibrate and it was a that was one of the most fascinating things about the time, because for 20 years, from the time Scientology snuck in the mid 70s until the mid 90s, Clearwater was fully aware of how Scientology operated. Uh, Lieutenant Ray Emmons from the police department was in charge of the investigation of Scientology for decades. New recruits would come on to the, the police force and be trained about Uh, how Scientology behaves, what to expect, all these types of things. In 1995, then Captain Paul Mazur of the police department filed an affidavit when Scientology was trying to sue the city to reveal the names of their undercover officers. And in this affidavit, Captain Mazur says, we don't want to reveal this because of Scientology's policy of fair game, where they viciously attack anyone who they can see uh, perceived to be an enemy and laid it all out can be tricked sued lied to or destroyed by any means by any Scientologist without any repercussion to the Scientologist. So the city knew how Scientology behaved but shortly before we came into town the city had hired a new um uh city manager named Mike Roberto and it was his intent to keep Scientology off the front pages of the paper so that they would be able to redevelop downtown. And when we came to town, as he told Bob Minton and Stacey Brooks, when they went over to have a meeting with him, uh, when we moved to town, he told them, you know, we we're trying to keep them off the front page of the paper and you're here now putting them back on the front pages. So they weren't happy about that one bit. And Roberto also told them that, I had to deal with a mob in Miami. It's no difference here dealing with Scientology. We have to find a way to, to live with it. Um, and, and so wow. it, was a, it was a really fascinating experience because we'd have people come up. I'd be out having uh, dinner at a local restaurant. People would come up and say, We're so glad you're here. We uh, didn't want to be recognized. They didn't, you know. Uh, but we would get support like that, or when we'd hold a picket, car horns would be honking nonstop when when we we're out there with signs. So people were were already, you know, still concerned about it. But the city was trying to move past that, and and then the involvement of the Clearwater police was really something that was kind of amazing to behold. Because the, during, the, during that period, in 2000, 2001, the police department decided that they didn't want to be called out uh, by Scientology constantly if somebody was going out to picket. So they decided Scientology should pay for it. So they set up this um, program where off-duty officers in uniform of squad cars would go work for Scientology on their little side street that we shared uh, with Scientology's Office of Special Affairs, Waterson Street. And this is where the buses would come and unload all the Scientologists who were going to uh, dine in the dining hall. Um, and so there'd be times when uh, people from the LMT or, or people visiting town would want to go and greet the buses. And we had signs that said things like, it's safe to look, it's safe to talk. Scientology was not happy about that one bit, uh, so they complained constantly, and, and, and uh, the police department then said, okay, these off-duty officers are going to sit at these white lines we put on the street that are a, a no-go zone for LMT members, as they uh, um, they actually burned these white lines onto Watterson that showed uh, like a walking area for the bus unloading. So even if, even if we were on the other side of the street, no one was on this side, uh, we couldn't walk through that if anyone was, was getting off the bus. And then Scientology tried to, tried to have that uh, read as no one could walk through these lines ever, if, uh, uh, um, even if there are no Scientologists there. So there'd be a police officer sitting there with a Scientology security guard, and I would be trying to walk around the block to a little store to pick up a, uh, a delicious can of soda. And, and the officer would stop me and say, no, no, you can't walk through here. Um, between uh, the lunch hours, which was like uh, two to two to one or something like that, or four to six. Uh, and it was just insane. And, and so we'd have to keep going back to court and having the judge say, that's not what I meant. Here's, here's what the rules are. Uh, but it was also always being contested like that. But I found that um, these officers who were routinely working for Scientology did seem to have a bias against us. And it was most apparent in the hammer attack. Uh, Early on uh, in 2000, there was a German film crew here trying to shoot an interview with uh, a German... Uh, I'm sorry, well, a German Scientologist artist, uh, something like uh, Gottfried Heinwein, I believe is his name, who was living in, sign- in Clearwater, but he had not been officially announcing that he was a Scientologist. So these these folks were doing a, a documentary about him, and they, they asked me to go along with them as they knocked on his door to ask for an interview. And I said, sure. So I, I had my camera off on the sidewalk as they went up and knocked on the door. No one answered. They came back we were heading toward the car and one of the uh one of the the, the uh, filmmakers said Octoon, Octoon. And i looked around and there was a guy behind me with a hammer cursing at us and he actually swung and hit the camera a couple of times um and the police showed up at the scene and we we explained oh, this is what happened we have the, the the incident on videotape you can see him coming threatening us and hitting the camera And he wouldn't look at it. He just looked at me and said, "You work up there at Waterson, don't you?" I said, "Yeah, I work with Bob Minton at the Lisa McPherson Trust." All right, let's see your IDs. So, and he also told me that it's illegal for me to be filming him without his permission, which I knew wasn't true. But I turned the camera off at that point anyway. Um, And they got our IDs but he didn't check with the hammer guy at all. Didn't get an ID from him. Another officer came, explained it to him. He didn't get an ID from the the cameraman. It took until a police lieutenant showed up in the third squad car that he actually looked at the video. And he then went up and talked to hammer guy, but even he didn't ask for an ID. Uh, I showed, I shared the footage with uh, one of the local TV stations who ran the news story that night. And at the end of the news report, the anchor said, and Scientology says they have no idea who this hamburger guy is. And we quickly looked him up in the, the completions list, you know, that Scientology would publish all the, the people who had finished courses and put them in their glossy magazine. So I think Christy Walker, I believe, was the one who had – been collecting and collating all of those for the internet so you could do a search of a name and there. oh yeah these are all the courses he took so we told the police and it was then that they went back to talk to the camera guy and ask for an id he lied about his name his social security number his birth date and he was wanted on drug charges cocaine charges in uh uh, uh key west then they arrested him and he spent a year in jail once they shipped them back there. But it's like, you're telling me that there's not a bias against us? And there are lots of situations like that where it was like, okay, not saying these cops are corrupt, but they're getting paid a fortune to sit there and being fed meals and being told all of these horrible stories about how evil we were and what criminals we were. You know, it didn't seem like we were getting a fair shake uh, from it. And I put together I'm gonna, a video. I'm
0: going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that's corruption. And yeah. I'm going well, out on a limb saying that even. I'm being very sarcastic right now because that's the definition of corruption. You are changing the nature of a thing into something worse than it is or is supposed to be. And police officers, if there is anybody, any civil servants, in society who are supposed to maintain some degree of neutrality when it comes to uh, di- you know, conflict resolution, it is police officers. So to have one of the parties in the conflict actively paying those people and that that's legal to do, opens the door wide to corrupting any police officer anywhere from any group, not just Scientology. And this is wrong, this is absolutely wrong that this practice is allowed to go on.
1: Yeah. Well, it went on for two years until the LMT left. Um, and now the police officers still get paid for off-duty work, but it's not on a daily basis. If Scientology is having an event and they need somebody for traffic control, they hire the police officers. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you can't say it's no Scientology. We're not going to do traffic patrol for you. But to have somebody making a living uh, on a, uh, a near daily basis, um, showing the impact that has on them. I mean, that was wrong. And I made a short 20-minute video about that and showed several examples of what we were facing. Before I even put that online, the police department got a copy of the tape. And uh, Chief Klein sat down with all the, the police officers and showed them the tape. Um, so it was a really weird experience from being a guy who's never had a problem with the police, who've never been, you know, never been arrested for, uh, for sure. Uh, suddenly every officer in town knows my name and has kind of a grudge against me. <laughs> it was just really a weird feeling, but I mean, nothing, uh, you know, I can't say that, that any harm ever came from, from that. Um, but this hammer attack, came like one week away from an experience in Chicago and again I don't mean to, to bore you to tears with all of this but um, you're not boring me at all please continue <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was uh, there at the LMT to be the the media guy doing interviews videotaping everything editing stuff putting the website together all that kind of stuff so we got a call from a couple dentists in Chicago who had been defrauded out of $20,000 by Scientology um, for courses that they had taken in advance, and they were trying to get that money back. And they tried for two years to have Scientology repay that $20,000, and they refused. So they reached out to the LMT, and I was put on the phone with them and arranged to go up to Chicago to do an interview with these two dentists. So we got the, you know, we got that all set. Hung up the phone. Not uh, not long after that. I mean, this the, it, within an hour or so, they called us back to say your phones must be bugged because suddenly there's uh, a, a woman from the the Scientology org in our office wanting to give us a check. Um, wow! And we uh, and they didn't take it. Um, or I don't know if they had a check, but she was saying, okay, we're going to pay you, we're going to pay you. Um, so I flew up there a few days later, did, an, uh, did part of the interview with them, at, at, uh, and uh, we were going to shoot a little bit of the interview right outside the Chicago org. Because that night, it was a Tuesday night at like 7.30. They had arranged for the two of them to uh, go into the org and have another negotiation to get their money back. Uh, So I was just bringing up my camera to my shoulder to say, "Okay, tell me what's going to happen here tonight. Before they could answer, the doors of the org swung open and two guys in black leather uniforms, black leather jackets, rather, came running out between the two dentists and grabbed me by either arm and arrested me for trespassing while I was on a public sidewalk. Uh, And I was I, I was. Slapped in handcuffs, shoved in the back of a police car, taken down to the, the jail, uh, booked, and uh, put in a cell with the the bars of the cell slamming in my face, and I sat there in the cell laughing. <laughs> how is this? How is this possible? Uh, uh, you know. A choir boy like me from the Midwest is suddenly behind bars. Uh... Hey, everyone. This
0: week, I've got something very interesting for you. Y'all know that I take a rather dim view on conspiracy theories because they tend to consist mostly of logical fallacies. But where do these ideas come from? What are the real historical facts connected with some of the more controversial figures in our past whose names are always wrapped up in conspiracies? Well, get this. The featured course for the Great Courses Plus this month is The Real History of Secret Societies. With this course, you can share my skepticism by getting a lot more data, historically accurate data, about secret societies and so-called conspiracies throughout history including a whole lecture on Aleister Crowley and the Ordo Templi Orientis, something that L. Ron Hubbard was connected with and used in formulating the symbology and belief system of Scientology. So I think this is a course you're going to want to check out. And this featured course is just one of hundreds of in-depth lecture series that you can watch or listen to from The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Streaming Library allows you to explore and truly master any topic that fascinates you because you're learning from the world's best professors and experts in their fields. Don't miss out on this. Sign up for The Great Courses Plus today. My listeners get this fantastic offer, a free trial with unlimited access to the entire library. Sign up through my special URL today to get started. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash critical. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com critical. You know, yep. I, I just, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I have to comment on something here. I'm going to totally interrupt your story. But um, people ask me probably the biggest, most common comment that I get. More even than, does Hubbard believe it? Or is Hubbard a nut? Or is Miscavige a psycho? Or blah, blah, blah. The biggest comment I get on my channel over and over and over again, why won't the FBI do anything about this group? Why won't the police do anything about this group? Well, here's your answer, folks. It's because they're bought off, okay? And I don't mean just necessarily with like Scientologists are putting money into their hands. I'm talking about a corruption of intent. I'm talking about deception. I'm talking about blatant lies being told to the police about us critics. Uh, because when, you're, when you got cops responding like that, you know, they're being primed, they're being prepped for it, right? And oh, yeah. then they just come out and oh, it's an overwhelming force. You're automatically the bad guy. And these cops are, you know, they should be censored for this kind of behavior because it is corrupt behavior. But it does answer questions, you know, and Scientology is particularly good at doing this. And it's kind of weird how good they are at doing this, but they are. You have to acknowledge the fact that they really got it down when it comes to uh, biasing sure. law enforcement or government officials against, you know, non Scientologists. So I just wanted to comment on that because it's something that is a real bugbear for a lot of my viewers, and they wonder why, why, why. They kind of forget cops are human too, you know.
1: And, anyway. and, and officers are not attorneys, they're not judges. They don't know um, all the ins and outs of all the laws that they're enforcing. Uh, so it's easy to pull the wool over their eyes in many cases. Yeah. And the yeah. easiest thing to do when Scientology is complain, complains is to, because you know, Scientology is gonna keep complaining and keep on their ass Uh, And go up to the chief of police to say, well, you know, you got to do something about this. So the easiest thing for the the officers to say is, you got to go. Now, in this instance, in Chicago, uh, I actually stood trial. And we were able to get the officers on the stand. Now, this is the type of petty misdemeanor that normally if you're arrested for trespassing, you would pay like a $60 fine and that would be it. So this courtroom where I stood trial had never seen a trial before, or at least this district attorney uh, who was handling this or, or the defense, uh, not defense attorney, the, the, the state's attorney had mm-hmm. never tried a case uh, before um, the court was not set up to try cases and we hired the top attorney in Chicago to handle this case. Um, This guy was on the front pages of the paper for a a, a daily at the time for a major murder trial. And uh, we we said, let's get the best. (laughs) So we put this guy on retainer and this is kind of awesome. This is kind of yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, this is the power of Bob Minton. I mean, he had the money to do this. Um, so we, uh, uh, you know, I, I met with him and signed the, the paperwork and talked with him briefly about what had happened. And, and he was, oh, yeah, don't worry about this. We'll, we'll take care of this. Um, I had asked him, oh, one of the things that happened while I was in lockup, and I, I was in jail for like three hours, I think. And as happy and as, as filled with glee as I was, the moment I was put in jail, after three hours, that, that kind of wore thin. So I was ready to ready to bail myself out. So, so um, they had put my camera into uh, the lockup, and overnight, I had to show up the next day to pick up my camera at uh, a different precinct. Uh, the tape that I had been rolling through this entire incident had been stolen from the camera. And I told this to the attorney. He said, "Well, let's not file a uh, uh, what are they called? The internal uh, uh, now I think internal justice chief from Scientology, internal (laughs) affairs. So we're not going to file a uh, report with internal affairs because it just gets them pissed at you, and it just makes them fight you harder." But I was upset that you know they stole the tape Uh, uh, again. I'm a naïve midwestern boy who would like to think better of the police than this um but so we decided okay we're gonna we're gonna go to trial with this for months we tried to get a hold of this attorney to do a conference call with him to say here's what you need to know about Scientology here's how they behave this is what they're going to do and he didn't want to hear it um we showed up uh, a, a few months later for my arraignment. So for my first appearance before the, the judge, we got there at, they were supposed to be at there at nine in the morning. At nine, I meet my attorney. And we see Scientology has brought in Elliot Abelson, their top legal mind, the guy who used to work for the Gambino family. They flew him in. And he went into a back room to talk to the uh, to the state attorneys, and they came out after a forty minute conversation with Scientology. We got in front of the judge, and they told the judge, "Your Honor, uh, we're going to add some charges to this uh, case: uh, resisting arrest, battery against a police officer, and because this is." Uh, uh, there's a religion involved. We're going to treat this as a hate crime. And my attorney standing there whispered to me, boy, they're really playing hardball. I said, yes, that's what we've been trying to tell you. We told you this is what
0: they do, and you didn't want to hear it. And
1: Welcome
0: to the big time.
1: And still, uh, the the trial was set, uh, you know, for like a year after the arrest. And we still tried to get in contact with this guy and we never could. So we decided, you know, we're going to hire somebody else. And we brought up Dennis DeFlaming, who's a Clearwater attorney who had defended Bob in uh, several instances, including the, you know, the thing where he kind of hit a Scientology security guard, knocked him to the ground that started this whole mess with the injunction. Dennis is fearless. Dennis knows Scientology. He came up to to handle this along with another uh, lawyer in in Chicago uh, who could back him up so he could be appearing in court there on my behalf. Um, and it was a fascinating experience, you know, going on trial, selecting a jury for for my trial. I mean, it was really interesting to be part of the process. And when the cops got on the stand, uh, they told us that they had arrived there like an hour and a half early. Scientology had been giving them the DA packs about how dangerous I was, what a criminal, uh, that I'm there to you know, blow up the place or whatever they, they expected, but really made it seem like uh, I was dangerous and they had to get rid of me. So they were primed the second I got there to arrest me and get me out of there. What they didn't expect was how many squad cars showed up at the scene, because suddenly there were like four or five police cars on either side of the street, downtown Chicago. One of the officers who had arrested me, actually, I heard him kind of whispering to another uh, another police officer, call us off. We don't need all of this. Um, so they were, you know, they knew that this was out of control. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it got, it allowed us to see how Scientology operates, what they do with these officers, how they're, you know, instilling this mania in them, <laughs> waiting for something big to happen, and it's it, it sad to see how these types of things can escalate and how. Officers can be um, not necessarily tricked into, into doing this. Uh, I, I do think it was absolutely criminal, and they should have been charged for stealing the tape from my camera. Now, we never did anything about that. But it, it was a revelation for Midwestern boy like me.
0: I'll bet at a very sad one at that i it is it, it's tragic because again, like I mentioned before, they are people too, and all I meant by that is that they are subject to all of the same weaknesses and petty vindictiveness and biases that all of us are, but they should they shouldn't be in their professional capacity, they have to be trained better, or they have to act better so that they don't fall prey to those things. And unfortunately, the training they receive clearly either bounces off or uh, never happened in the first place where you run into situations like that. So, you know, this isn't some kind of, you know, hashtag kill all the cops or something kind of approach here. It's just these are people who are acting, you know, uh, non-objectively in situations where they really should be objective.
1: Yeah. and. And I think for many of the officers uh, in the Clearwater Police Department at the time, I don't think that they consciously were thinking they're doing something wrong. Um, I don't know about this particular officer with the hammer attack. Uh, It just does seem kind of egregious. But um, no one really expects what Scientology will pull. You're talking about manufacturing evidence, uh, they are willing to lie to the police, lie to the government. It doesn't matter. Scientology will will lie their heads off and manufacture evidence. We saw that in a little instance where, and this is one of the things that got Scientology back onto the, the newspaper front pages again. We had been turned away from businesses. Jeff Jacobs and I uh, ate across the street at a, at a restaurant uh, owned by Scientologists. We didn't cause a scene. We went in there, we had lunch. Uh, on, on the way out, after we paid our bill and gave them a nice tip, um, the owner's boyfriend came to the door and said, listen, you didn't, you didn't cause any trouble. I just want you to know you're not allowed here, you're not welcome here again. Uh, and then Paris Murphopolis from the one-stop shop uh, uh, had denied me service. So we thought, well, let's, let's just file a complaint with the city about discrimination. Um, and to defend Scientology's actions, Scientology had created a website, uh, a, a, you know, a, this specious uh, parishioners.org type of website where they put up smears about people. This particular website was a listing of hate groups. So it was a warning, you know, beware people from the KKK, from this, from that, the Lisa McPherson Trust, from that, you know, mixed us in with these vile organizations. So they manufacture that website and then they print it out and give it as evidence to the city saying, see, these are dangerous people and you've got to do something about this. And I mean, it's stunning that they could—they—they they routinely do this, and there's no repercussion to them. You mentioned the FBI, the FBI, uh, um, and other groups uh, from from the government have looked into a lot of the Scientology stuff. But the problem is, when they—if they wanted to raid um, uh, the the desert compound in Hemet, Golden Era, and and break open the doors to the hole, the double-wide trailer where all the top executives are, are, are sleeping on the floor and being held on RPF conditions. Uh, if they did that and said, we're here to free you, uh, the people in there would go, we want to be here. This is our religion. So it's not until somebody has had enough brutality and they break and leave, that they can really confront what, the abuses that they faced. That's right. That's exactly right.
0: And that's, and that's what we're fighting, you know? And that's, that's what coercive persuasion, that's what undue influence, thought reform, these phrases we use, that's what this is all about. Yeah. It's getting people into a mindset where they can't conceive that a group could do anything wrong, and right. that it deserves to be lied for, That it des- you know that, that anybody who's against this group deserves to die right? They deserve like every bad thing that ever is going to happen to them. I mean, this is the mindset. So, so it's pretty pretty nasty stuff, you know that's why we call these things destructive cults. They're pretty destructive. Uh, okay, so you know this LMT thing is just it's one of the most fascinating little bits of history and it really needs its own concentrated thing. Let's go ahead and move on from that because I, I could ply you with many more questions about that time and I'm sure you have many more stories like this, but I'm curious, after that kind of folded or collapsed and, you know, and things kind of went south with that, what happened to you? What did you do after that?
1: Well, I mean, after the LMT closed its doors, I was uh, retained to continue uh, maintaining the LMT website for another year. So we, we, we closed down the building. Most of the staff was let go. I went up to New Hampshire and lived uh, uh, near Bob. And worked out of his barn where he had an office and continued uh, updating the website from there. And eventually, over the course of that year, a couple things happened. Um, Bob cried uncle um, and kind of got himself out of all of this. Uh, the LMT website was eventually shut down by the end of 2002. Um, and I had. Uh, my own medical issues deal with it at the time where um, I had uh, discovered that I had blocked arteries and I had to have a stent, and that <laughs> that knocked me silly um, so by the end of the uh, of, of 202 it was decided it was decided okay well it's time to, to move on and I moved back to San Diego um, I initially moved to LA and within a month of being in LA, I got a job at a San Diego TV station as a news, uh, video editor. Um, so for a month I was commuting two hours back and forth, uh, to go to work every morning, uh, before I found a place in San Diego to, to live. So I spent 10 years working at a, a couple of different TV stations down there, uh, and learning, uh, more about, uh. TV news that I I expected to learn. Um, First at XETV, I'm sorry, no, first KUSI, which was a little small independent station that was all news. Um, And then uh, I moved over to the then Fox affiliate uh, XETV and tried to to live my life while still covering Scientology along the way. at, at a certain point after the, the stock market crashed in 2008, uh, it hit TV stations horribly hard because all their big advertisers, like car dealerships, were ruined by, by the, uh, the devastation of that. So all the ad dollars went away. So um, they kept firing people every week at the station. When I came to XCTV, it was such a busy, noisy, active newsroom with reporters coming and going, editors, the writers, all this activity going on to put together evening newscasts. Every week, more and more of those people were fired until by the end, uh, it was uh, me, uh, two gals who were writing and producing the show, two anchors, like two or three reporters in the field couple video editors and once the station saw that they could still put on a show without all those people there was no turning back so i mean that happened to the industry all over the place um, and eventually after a couple of years of seeing people go it was my turn to go and i decided after that you know it's um it's uh, time to look for something else and that's when the That's uh, about the time that the the movie came about, but it wasn't, uh, I started a a fundraising event in, in, I think it was 2010 um, to to start making a documentary. And in the first 24 hours, I was shocked to get $10,000 from people all around the globe for me to, to do this film. And it really cushioned the blow when a week later I was fired from the TV station. And okay, well now I have time to do this. So I kind of launched into that. And in the first couple of years, um, I had I had gotten a, a lot of interviews. I did way too many interviews for the documentary. Uh, normally, you know, if you, you're doing a the documentary, there's maybe five, six, eight people at the most who will be experts on screening. I decided to do a cross-country tour and hopped in the car with my equipment and drove around the entire country. And I think I wound up with like 36 interviews. Way too much to use in a movie. But my feeling all along was we're going to have the movie and then we're going to have everybody's stories that will be put online. So we'll have a record of all of this stuff. And I had a chance to talk to to some truly amazing people along the way. Um, and I, I would put up little one or two minute excerpts of something interesting from their interviews uh, as and, and kind of, okay, here's what we're accomplishing so far. Um, so it, it, if you were to just put those clips together, it's like an hour and a 40 minutes worth of material that in itself is not a movie and all of that wouldn't be in the movie. But it was just a, 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 you know, a quick look at I a lot of material here. And that in itself became kind of an issue where it's like, how do I put this jigsaw puzzle together? And, you know, I I, I went through and I had um, put together all the sound bites about the RPF, everything about leaving the Sea Orc, everything about fair game. So I had all these experts in all these fields doing this. And... Uh, there's a lot of really great stuff there. But I have not had experience doing this. And I found myself getting bogged down. And it's been now nine years since this started. Um, And the film isn't, isn't finished, as many people are aware. And I am really horrified that that's the situation. Uh, when I when I hear people giving George or, or Martin a hard time for finishing his last two Game of Thrones books, I always, always want to say, cut him some slack, people. This isn't easy. Um, and 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 I've been retooling it along the way because I think, okay, well, th- maybe it should focus on this. Maybe it should be a serious of one-hour episodes for something like Netflix, where we can concentrate on these things. Um, And getting bogged down uh, is a huge problem. Um, And I know people are out there anxious because the film hasn't been finished. I understand that, and I understand people's complaints, and, and my God, they're justified (laughs) uh, You know, when I think of, okay, well, why can't we have another Star Trek film? Uh, It's been three years. Where's my Star Trek film? And there's a team of hundreds of professionals working on these things, skilled people, talented people, putting this project together. And it's me. And I'm sitting here uh, a, a little overwhelmed in some instances. I made a mistake early on. Uh, because I did have people offer to say, Hey, I'll be happy to write it for you. Uh, I'll be happy to do this. Happy to do that. A lot of people offering music. I was stunned by how many people had music that they want to use in the film. Um, and I wasn't sure who I could trust. And, and I was thinking, you know, if, if I have somebody else write the film, is it really my voice? Uh, is it really going to tell the story that I, I, I want to tell? And I thought I can do this myself. And that was a mistake. I, I, I need more people to help me with this. And along the way, many people have offered, including you. Um, yes, I, I did. That's yeah. True. And I appreciate that. And uh, we may well collaborate on this. Um, the offer is open. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I, I am in a situation now where I have signed a contract uh, for a project and I, um, So I'm waiting to kind of see where that goes. In the meantime, four years ago, I had considered running for office here in Clearwater. And I was even asked about it by uh, one of the reporters from uh, the Tampa Bay Times, the the main guy who does uh, all the Scientology stuff. Uh, I can't think of his name right Joe Childs? Joe Childs. Uh, He saw me in court one day and said, are you really considering running for mayor? And I told him, I want to, but the fact that the film isn't finished yet would be used against me. I really think I should finish the film first. And now it's four years later, and I had plenty of health issues along the way. And the film still isn't finished and I said, you know, it's good. It, you know, if I if I wait, as I, I you know, i procrastinated uh, long enough on everything. If I wait any longer, I, I'm I'm going to miss my chance to make a difference here by running for office. So I decided, okay, I'm going to get I'm going to get attacked for the film not being finished yet. I, I always think, well, you know, there's a documentary I saw called Dog, which is about the the guy who was the um, The central figure who inspired Dog Day Afternoon. Really good documentary, actually, by the way. This character uh, who the film was based around. uh, Al Pacino played this guy in the movie. And uh, a a husband and wife team made this movie. And it took them 14 years from start to finish, from start to finish filming. So I thought, okay, it's not the longest unproduced documentary yet. It's still there, it's going to be great. Uh, and then uh, and then I, I caught myself when when uh, in the theater they had um, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, a documentary that was shot during the Holocaust in. And, and it wasn't finished for 40 or 50 years after it was shot. I thought, OK, well, it's not going to be that bad. <laughs> Knowledge report won't take that long. Uh, but, right. Right. But, yeah, all the people who have said, Why? Why? Um, you know, all all justifiable, reasonable questions. I don't have a really good answer for you. Uh, it's my own personal failings that I haven't gotten it done yet. I do intend to get it done. I'm keenly aware of all the people who supported me over the years uh, with that. And we're gonna have something worthwhile at the end. Um, and, and we'll have a, a, a great archive of material too. So it's, I, I don't think it's gonna be a, a, a loss. It's just a long wait, much longer than, than I ever expected. I looked at it like this when I made that 20 minute video about the Clearwater Police at the LMT, uh, it took me a month to put that together. I figured 20 minutes, okay. Uh, so it should only take me like uh, what, six months to, uh, to make this film, and no. So I can only blame myself, but, um, you know, uh, in the end, I think you will, we'll find that it's, it's worth the wait. I hope at least.
0: Well, I, I'm sure that it will be. And I, you know, far from me to start throwing stones. I've, I've been sitting on my meter video for three years, so I get how time can catch up with you. And I will say that, um, you know, in your defense or, or you know, in, in the defense of this future project that had I put out the metering video a year ago, two years ago, it would actually almost have to be remade considering the things I have learned over the last year. So yeah. it's a good thing, even though, you know, you wish you hadn't maybe over and under-delivered at the beginning, Sure. You know what's coming is going to be amazing and, and good and true and, and right. And so you want it to, to fit the context and the time that it's going to come out, not what was asked for 10, 15 years ago or whatever. So yeah. I, anyway, I'm just saying that as a fellow creator, I, I feel you.
1: <laughs> and the, the lengthy process actually gives it a different context, too, because even mm-hmm. while I was shooting the film over the course of several years, I would go back to Karen Delacarriere several times. First time I interviewed her, she was uh, very much supporter of the tech, believed in L. Ron Hubbard, believed in everything, and the whole problem was David Miscavige. Cut to six months or a year later, uh, she no longer believes in Hubbard. She wants to do another interview in the course of the interviews we and 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 we, we did another one too but in the course of the interviews we see not just her position change but the family tragedy reveal itself because in the in the course of i don't know if it was the first or the second interview uh probably the second one where she declared that um her son uh had disconnected from her uh in the first interview She said he would never do that. My son, uh, we love each other. Uh, I've been declared a suppressive person. He would never disconnect from me. That was the first interview. Second interview, she was distraught because he's disconnected. Go back again the third time, he's died. And we're at his memorial service where she's telling the story about how she wasn't able to go see him in the morgue. She wasn't even allowed to go to the funeral. Tragic. How can people behave this way? Um, Unintended consequence, but, you know, we do see this thing we wouldn't have seen if it had been finished after the first interview. And it's the type of heart-rending story that that I think is important to get out. this is, this is what Scientology does to families. Not every family. Sure, there are people who are in who are happy, but there's way too many people who have been abused and damaged by this organization. And that's what I speak up about. I and mean, that's one of the, the challenges of the campaign too, because I, I, I don't think I'm a religious bigot, even though that's how Scientology is going to portray me. Uh, I'm, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. Scientology should not be allowed to do all of these horrible things. And I think that's the message that I think I can get across. I don't want to say hate the Scientologist, because my, my uh, 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 feeling is the Scientologists are good people. Not everyone. I'm sure there's jerks along the way. But by and large, these are intelligent people who... Uh, really are positive and they think they're going to save the planet. Um, It's just that they're not looking at the full picture. So as I speak about Scientology during this campaign, it's not going to be, let's go get the Scientologists. Let's go harass them. No, it's not going to be that. It's going to be, these are the people that I'm fighting for. I'm trying to stop the abuses against these people. Um, And if I can fight... For these people who've been told to hate me, told that I'm a criminal, I can certainly fight for the people of Clearwater to be their spokesperson, to be their, you know, the the guy who will stand up for them too, because I, I deeply am concerned. I'm I'm an empathetic person. Uh, Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll I'll do be doing interviews with people and. Ugh, like now. Uh, you know, I'll be hearing their stories and I'll be wiping away tears thinking, my God, we, we got to not just tell people about this, we need to show people this. Um, and the same way with all the other problems we have in any city affordable housing, uh, you know, all, all of these issues are things that I think I can help with and I'd be happy to, to fight for. I, I don't like bullies, I believe in people over corporations. And uh, so I think I can make a difference, and that's why I moved back here to Clearwater, uh, essentially back in 2013. I put off putting uh, uh, making a run for office for four years. I'm not putting it off any longer, uh, and it, it's going to be an interesting journey. And maybe well, i that's, that's for damn sure.
0: What? Let me uh, let me let me now. Let's tackle this for a second because sure. this is uh, I. I I'm totally on board. And I uh, want to support your effort here. And I do think it's an important one. And, um, and yes, that film is going to get done. But this is something that you are, you are stepping up. And this is not just online activism. This is stepping up in the real world and doing something. And again, this must be acknowledged for the for the move that it is. What is it with you've been in Clearwater for years now, you know the scene there, you're familiar with the territory. It's not just, not just the Church of Scientology, but we cannot talk about Clearwater intelligently without talking about Scientology. It's just too dominating of a force there, but there are other things going on there too. It's not all just about Scientology. So what are your plans? What, what do you think you can actually accomplish as a city council member both in its direction of Scientology and Clearwater in general.
1: Well, I, I think it's important um, in, in the terms of Scientology, I think it's important for the city to just understand what Scientology is. and does the way they used to. I mean, for 20 years, they understood Scientology for 20 years. They tried to ignore it. Every, try, every time they tried to ignore it, uh, Scientology bites them in the ass. Um, and as hard as they're trying now to develop downtown And we're spending now $65 million on this program to this project uh, called Imagine Clearwater. We're going to take the entire Bayfront downtown and turn it into a majestic park that really looks good. Um, And it's very promising. But like every other attempt to develop downtown, Scientology is still a problem. so I think with the Imagine Clearwater program, we have to have an Imagine Scientology component of it as well, where, where we can imagine a day when Scientology is not going to be harassing people, is not going to be following people um, who may say something negative while they're downtown, who you know don't, like Pat Harney and, and the other PR executive uh, at the time, Al Butner, who don't show up at some guy's job to get them fired because he wrote a letter to the editor saying Elron um, Hubbard was a lousy science fiction writer. So we need to really confront Scientology and say, be good citizens. Be the citizens you're trying to pretend to be. Um, and, right. and then, and then you, you won't have to worry about people being afraid of you. You're right, you think? Um, yeah, so, so I, I think I can... Uh, uh, make an impact in that, uh, but uh, you know prices are rising everywhere. Uh, my my rent here has gone up a hundred bucks since I moved in here a year ago, um, and you know everywhere you go, affordable housing is an issue. I really want to work with Habitat for Humanity and other organizations here in town that that can make a difference. Uh, The city has been active with them. I want to see what more we can do. Uh, I was reading uh, an article from Detroit. uh, uh, It was probably about a month ago about uh, a program they're testing there where they're uh, building. They have like $500,000 set aside for this test project where they're building um, tiny homes. And I'm fascinated by tiny homes. I don't know about you, but I, I find myself watching those shows and uh, and being uh, amazed at, at what they can do in a tiny space. So anyway, in Detroit, they're building these homes for like $50,000 a piece. And then uh, you can rent to own those, backed by this program. So after And you pay for a, a dollar a foot. So if you want a 400-foot home, 400 square foot. Uh, it's $400 a month. So even if you're on a fixed budget of like $11,000 a year, you can afford $400 a month. And you have to pay you know, the, the utilities and things like that along the way. But after 10 years of paying that, you own a home. That goes on the tax rolls. You have something that you can provide to other family members along the way. You have a sense of ownership instead of being slapped into a troubled apartment where you've got a lot of other people who may be problems. You've got a place to call home. You have a place to go home. I think that's an exciting idea. I would like to see if something like that can be done here. Currently, I don't believe that we're, uh, the city is allowing, um, tiny homes, um, there there may be an issue where, you know, you can put one up in a backyard at somebody's home. But to me, it sounds like a great idea. And I, I want to fight for issues like that. And I want to listen. I, I still have a lot of listening to do across the city. Um, what issues people are concerned about. Traffic is certainly a huge problem down at the beach. But, um, you know, if you go to Clearwater Beach, especially on the weekends, you can't move. So we've gotta figure out a way to transport people down there uh, to, to lessen that load. Uh, I don't know why we don't have some terrific park and ride programs here uh, on this side uh, of the bridge to take people over there for free. Uh, you know, um, and if, if people wanna take a bus anywhere in the area, it's like an hour wait for a bus. And then they don't they don't run 24 hours a day. I mean, I've been in cities, even uh, you know, when I was growing up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, you, know, you had a bus coming by every 10 15 minutes. Um, but it, it, you know, if people need to get somewhere, transportation like that is important. So there are issues like that I w- I would like to to um, work on, um, and I I want to do, I want to be responsive to what people actually need. The city right now, it seems to be uh, run by developers for developers. Uh, and the voice of the people isn't really necessarily heard. In fact, uh, when I went to a meeting back in May that was put on by the Clearwater, uh, oops, okay, I can't think of the name of the group right now, uh, uh, oh, Clearwater Neighborhood Coalition, they had uh, a meeting store. anybody in the city who wanted to come to run for office, we, we could show up that night and we'd have city officials, the, the city attorney, former um, uh, former members of the council, giving us the ins and outs of what it is like to run. And one of the uh, one of the city council members who spoke said, "Now, who here thinks it's, it 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 makes a difference if you get up and talk in that three minute uh, public uh, issue?" session and nobody raised their hand and he said yeah of course not. it doesn't make any difference at all if you want to change something you've got to run for office uh, and i you know i see from the times that i have spoken in front of the city council they're not paying attention they don't really want to hear from you um but then there are also issues where people aren't even aware of what's going on behind their backs like there's a big issue recently with a scientologist developer who was getting this um, big apartment high-rise built on the waterfront, blocking off the neighbors who were losing their view. They weren't even aware of it going on until, you know, this final meeting shows up. And Scientology has any number of Scientologists who don't even live there um, going up to say, oh, we think this is a great project. We really want this. So you got a wave of these people who are brought in by the Scientology developers. Meanwhile, there's a couple neighbors there who actually say, we don't like this. Uh, and then at the end of the comment section, they're able, uh, you know, people on the, the board are able to say, well, we kind of got balance here. It seems like people really want this project. Um, and it's too late to, to really do much about it. They are challenging it in court, but, you know, <laughs> we got to be able to let people know what's going on and give them a voice and, it, it is, it is fascinating to start getting into this side of it because, like most people, I follow national politics. I'm a political junkie, but I'm not following all the local stuff. So I still have a lot to learn, but and I'm in the process now of knocking on doors, find, uh, finding out what your concerns are, um, and and you know, willing to go fight for it. I mean, here this is a tiny, tiny little example. But um, on the the app next door, uh, which, uh, you know, everyone in Clearwater can kind of talk about issues. I announced that I was planning to run. And I was asking people there uh, what issues were concerning them. One woman reached out to me who lives not terribly far away from here. And she said, uh, you know, there's this great grassy area outside our home that, sci- uh, that the, not Scientology, no Scientology in this at all that the city is responsible for. They're supposed to come and maintain this. Um, and no one had mowed that that patch for a long time. So I drove over to her house and I took some pictures and I took some video and I, I told her, I'll go to the next city council meeting and I'll talk to them about it. And I showed the pictures and, um, and I, I announced on next door, uh, Put, I put up, like, a picture or two on next door and said, okay, I'm going to talk about it Thursday night. So um, Thursday morning, lo and behold, somebody came over there and mowed it sloppily quickly, and I went back and took pictures of the sloppy job where you had these corn rows of grass high and, and then clippings everywhere, and it just looked horrible. Um, but it was a situation where, uh, you know, I'd be happy to to, to fight for you on that. Especially since at that same Clearwater Coalition neighborhood meeting, there was another person from the city who talked uh, about how much money they're making for the city by finding people. And one of the things he specifically talked about was that um, you're not tending your lawn, we charge you 250 bucks for that. Um, and I thought that's pretty galling that, we're, that people who are in tough conditions sometimes like the 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 family that invited me over to to take those pictures the woman who lived next door to them is in her 80s and she doesn't live at the the neighboring house anymore she has uh you know has not got the ability to keep that up so um some of the other neighbors will go over there and mow occasionally but she was getting slapped with fines from the city for this it's like really is that the best way to, to handle this um I would much rather, you know, fight on behalf of the people than for us getting a little extra money from these these fines. Uh, so it's, it, you know, there's lots of little things like that that I I think we need to be more responsive to the people. I went to one meeting and there was a, a, a developer who had uh, sought four hundred thousand dollars to give his uh, new apartment complex a um, better curb appeal. He wanted to put awnings up and he talked all on and on about all the uh, special amenities that were put inside the building, uh, a gourmet restaurant. So you can go someplace and cook, uh, you know, uh, the spas, a couple different gyms, an indoor dog walk, which made my head kind of spin. Uh, and I, I got up after he finished and I said, well, wait a minute, 400000 If they can afford to put in all those bells and whistles, why can't they afford to, to do the exterior of the building themselves? $400,000, shouldn't that be put toward affordable housing? And, of course, they, they never respond to you then. Um, so I finished my, my whining and sat down and then, then they explained that there's a different bucket. For affordable housing. This money is set aside for businesses. Okay. But that made me think well, $400,000, you could paint uh, a lot of houses with that, like 1,600 houses. You could give neighborhoods curb appeal for that. And if you had to have the neighborhood kind of create an LLC to dip into those funds, what's wrong with that? You know, so those are the type of issues that I, I'd like to see addressed. Uh, and things that I'll fight for. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be much more I can learn along the way. And I'm going to be meeting so many people. And, and I just want to do what I've been doing for Scientology for all this time. Saying, seeing a wrong and saying, this isn't right. You know, so we got to do something s- about this.
0: Yeah, man. And stepping up and actually doing something about it, you know. Yeah. And you got six months Anybody out there who's watching this from the, from the area of Clearwater, you know, if you're actually in this area, in this district, connect up with this campaign. Sure. You know, if I, you know, I will put um, your contact data, whatever you want to give me, email, website, whatever, in the show notes for this show.
1: There is going to be, uh, there is going to be a website uh, put up when we launch. So you will be able to, to go to markbunker.com and uh, that'll be the campaign site. Uh, you, you'll be able to volunteer there. If you're local, you want to volunteer, you'll be able to donate to the campaign. We have a terrific campaign treasurer who's handling all of that. So I, I see some people online uh, worried about the knowledge report thing, saying that this is a scam. There are so many laws about what this money can and can't be used. So many laws, trust me. <laughs> uh, we're, we're aware that this is how Scientology is going to attack. So, um, yeah, and, using, be-
0: and using the word scam for that whole movie thing, by the way, is pretty irresponsible. It's not that, that I think we've think we've made it pretty clear that that's not what's been going on. So, you know, uh, too slow. Well, fine. You know, scam. That's a whole different thing. That implies vicious intent, uh, criminal intent, even. And that's not what's going on here. So let's just nip that whole nonsense in the bud. Can people from outside Clearwater or outside Florida donate to your campaign?
1: Sure. Once the the campaign starts, we can't collect anything until the 19th when we actually uh, file the papers. At that point, anyone within the U.S. is uh, allowed to contribute to the campaign. Uh, No money from overseas. Um, And and everything has to be uh, reported. So anyone who uh, donates through the website. Uh, it goes through a national uh, program there that uh, that records your name, address, and your employer, apparently, are things that you have to, to met. or if you're retired, just say uh, retired. Uh, all of this is public records. So, um, so if you're in the U.S., uh, uh, you, you can definitely contribute if you want to volunteer uh, services. In fact, I have to reach out to Jefferson uh, Hawkins. Uh, uh, cause I could do some graphics work. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to call him as soon as we get done here. Um, so I, and we'll, of course, video is going to be a huge component of this. So we'll be sharing video all along the way. Uh, and I think it's going to be an exciting, challenging, uh, journey. I, I, I fully admit that there's probably going to be times when, um, I have my gaffes where, <laughs> I don't have a solid answer on a particular issue. Uh, One of the things I'm doing now, which I'm really enjoying, uh, we just started uh, Clearwater 101, which is a a kind of a a learning experience that the city runs once or twice a year, where a group of people come and you get to visit every single department, see how everything operates, meet the people who run the departments, and that is going to help me so much. We just had our orientation last Tuesday. I got to meet the nice young Scientologist gal who is sitting seated right behind me. Um, I hope we can be uh, become friends along the way. Um, but it, you know, I'll I'll be learning so much more about the city uh, functions that I'm not even aware of right now, and that's going to help enormously during during the campaign. So, tons of stuff for me to learn. But uh, I'm up for it, and, and uh, I really think it's going to be a great experience. And I think we have a really great chance of winning.
0: Awesome, man. Well, I definitely am wishing you the best. I hope that this helps. I hope that this, uh, this interview will allow people to find out more about who you are and what you stand for and what this is all about. And, of course, this has been more than a little educational about the history of uh, what Scientology gets up to. Uh, and we need to keep in mind that it's not just history folks, you know, they might not be out and about as loud and proud as they were in the nineties, but their fair game, their bag of tricks and all of that is still very, very full. And they, uh, they have not given up at all in their mission. So, uh, so it is, it is a group that needs to be pushed back against. And I'm glad that uh, that you're out there doing it. So thank you very much for hey that,
1: for goes, that goes both ways, Chris. I really appreciate the fact that you're out there with your channel, Aaron Smith Levin is out there with his channel. That there's so many voices continuing to speak out about this and interviewing new people, sharing experiences, sharing knowledge. It's so great that this carries on. So thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing more of what you achieve.
0: Awesome, man. All right, folks, any questions, comments, or feedback, leave it in the comment section. And we're going to be posting this this weekend. I'm sure, Mark, I will send you a link to this. You can check out the comments and reply or answer questions as necessary or needed, if you would like. Uh, So leave them out there in the comment section here on YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com. All right, folks, I will see you next week. Thanks very much for coming around and watching. Bye-bye.